Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, before we get started, today's episode is... Brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. Thanks so much for your support. You can support the show at support.greatdetectives.net. Coming up after uh, Johnny Dollar is the next part in The Lady Was Lethal. Now it's time to take a listen to the conclusion of The Nick Shern Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar? Spell it. J-O-H-N-N-Y-D-O-L-L-A-R. That's not right. You forgot to capitalize. Hey, you're right, honey. Let me hear you spell your name. Okay. Capital J-I-L-L-Jill. Capital O, apostrophe. Apostrophe. I never can say that. Capital D-A-R-E. Oh, dare. Of course, my last name's actually something else. I forget. But my mother says I'm really an O'Dare. Not the least doubt about it. I could see it in a minute. I like you, Johnny Dollar. And I kind of like you, too, Jill O'Dare. You think my mother's pretty? I think she's lovely. Then why don't you get married to her so I can have a daddy? Well, that's, um, well, certainly something to think about. And, uh, not a bad idea. Now, I'll be quiet before you wake her up. I'm already awake, and with a plot like that being hatched, I think I'd better stay awake. Is there coffee, Johnny? Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location, a small cabin in the timber outside Brambury, Michigan, to the home office, Tri-Mutual Insurance Limited, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Nick Shern matter. Expense account, final page. Item 15, $1 million, for a certain feeling. I realize, of course, that the amount of this item is somewhat unusual and may be cause for mild criticism by your accounting department, unless the accompanying report includes an adequate and detailed explanation. Therefore, to avoid unnecessary correspondence and delay, I am attaching said explanation herewith. Here's your coffee, Kathy. Thanks. How long did I sleep, Johnny? Oh, a couple of hours. It's around four in the morning. The storm hasn't let up at all, has it? Oh, it's worse, if anything. Jill, honey, it's four o'clock in the morning and your eyes are just about to fall out. Now you go back there and go to sleep. Do I have to, Mommy? You have to. Run along now. 
Mr. Johnny Dollar and me were having a lot of fun till you woke up. <laughs> well, that's life, sweetie. Night now. Good night, Jill. Good night. Proud of her? I'm crazy about her. That's what you mean. She's a great little girl. She's the only thing I ever did in my whole life that turned out right. That bad, huh? Johnny, it's no good. I know why you're here. I know what you expect from me, and the answer's no. You're jumping the gun. I haven't asked you anything. You will. You haven't done all this for nothing. You're going to ask me to come back to New York and testify against Nick Shearn. I might ask you to tell the truth. Is that just another way of wording it? I didn't see anything, hear anything. I don't know anything about it, and I have nothing to say. So Nick Shearn gets away with another murder. I wouldn't know anything about that. And sooner or later, of course, he'll kill you, too. He sent Benny Stark out to do it, and Benny missed. But he's got other boys, or he might even handle the job himself. Why? By now he ought to know that I'm not going to tell. But there's always that chance you might change your mind. And Nick's a gambler, but he likes the odds on his side. He doesn't take chances. Whenever he can, he stacks the deck. I wish I could help you, Johnny. But I don't know anything about it. I left before it happened. How long have you worked for Nick Shearn? Known him? Two years. I'm not wide-eyed about him, Johnny. I've heard what he's been, what he may even still be, a gangster, hoodlum, racketeer, but that's none of my business. The club was legitimate, my job there was on the level, and he never got out of line once. And no doubt he's always been kind to his mother and loves dogs and children. I wouldn't know, except children. He's crazy about them. He was always buying something for Jill, asking about her. And he also shot and killed Mel Pryker. I couldn't say. I see. Well, you're letting a lot of people down. People here in Brambury that you grew up with, people that love you. Your father, Dan Martin. What have they got to do with it? You know, it's a great country up here. I'd like to spend more time in it. And it's big country, big and beautiful and dangerous. Like that blizzard outside there. It's not the kind of country that turns out cowards. Cowards? Your father said something yesterday. That some people belong in cities and some don't. And that you're one of the second kind. He was right. The city's made a coward of you. You don't understand. And they know it. Old Mike, Dan, all of them. Of course, they'll never mention it. But you're letting them down and they know it. And you know it, Kathy. They don't have a daughter to think of. It's not her fear we're talking about. It's yours. All right, I'm scared. I've got reason to be. It's easy for you to talk. You don't know what fear is, what it can do to you. I don't. It can push you and drive you and make you do things you hate yourself for. And it can destroy you. How would you know? How would any of them know? Who haven't felt it, who haven't been there. Kathy, you're not alone. We've all been there. It's not the fear that's important. It's the courage you bring up to fight it. I've tried. I've, I've nearly gotten crazy trying to think it out. But it always comes back to one thing. Jill... She's what counts. Nothing else matters. And if you love her, teach her to grow up without fear. Sacrifice anything if you have to, even your life. But teach her courage. There's nothing greater you could do for her. <laughs> it's all right, Jack. It's all right. It's all right. I knew what was right, Johnny. I knew all the time. Sure, sure. Of course you did. All you needed was a little push. Want to tell me about it now? I... I was there at the club 
That night, when it happened, I stayed after closing. I had some presents for Jill, and I wanted to wrap them before I took them home. Nick and Mel Pryker were upstairs in the office. Nick was there? Yes. I could hear them arguing. They didn't know I'd stayed, and then... Go on. I heard Mel yell out. He said, no, Nick, no. And then I heard the shots. Yes? I didn't even think. I ran up to the office. Mel was lying on the floor, and Nick was standing there with a gun. He told me to get out and to keep quiet. I wanted to keep on living. That's it, huh? Yes. Would you make a statement to the police, testify at the trial? Yes. Oh, good. Will you help me, Johnny? Will you stand by me? You know I will. You've got to because I'm scared. I'll be scared all the way, but I'll do it if you'll help me. I'll help you, Kathy, all the way. Why don't you curl up here and get some sleep? Come on. Maybe now I can sleep. It's going to be all right. Thanks, Johnny, for giving me the push. Oh, sure, honey. You know something, Johnny? I'm with Jill. I like you, too. She went to sleep with her face against my chest. And after a while, little Jill came tiptoeing in and curled up on the other side. And I sat there holding them both, thinking and waiting for the dawn. So that's what I mean about a million-dollar feeling. True, it wasn't my little girl, or my big girl either. But for the moment at least, well, that item still goes. I'll still tag that feeling at one million dollars. And I was sorry when the storm was over and a rescue party came out from town. Because I felt I'd had one moment in a lifetime that I'd never find again. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen when the snow lay round the The big event of the year in Brambury was the Christmas Eve show in the town hall. There was music and a pageant and singing, and everybody took part in it, from the youngest kid in town to the toughest old grizzled lumberjack from the back hills. Jill was in the children's chorus, and old Mike was to operate the spotlight, so they went on ahead. I took Kathy. And since she wasn't quite ready to face people yet, we made a point of getting there late. I didn't care when we got there, as long as I was with her. We slipped in quietly and took seats at the back of the room. The string group from the high school orchestra was playing and no one noticed us. Not even old Mike, Kathy's father, who was working the spotlights. I hope Jill does all right. She hasn't had any time to practice with us. Oh, she'll do all right. We'd been there about ten minutes when somebody else came in and slid into the one seat between us and the door. I didn't look around until I felt Kathy stiffen beside me. Oh, no. It was Nick Shearn. Nobody gets excited now or makes any sudden moves. We just sit here quiet like. He slid his hand over to feel inside my coat under my arm. Now packing around, huh? Perfect. I'd left my gun at Kathy's house. Old Mike had been dubious about it, but with Benny dead, I'd seen no reason to carry it. And after all, it was Christmas Eve. All right, now we're going to ease out of here now without attracting no attention from anybody. You're crazy, Nick. You're crazy. Shut up and just don't forget one thing, now. I'm not holding this gun on you. Same right at the middle of Kathy's back. Let's go. Johnny. No choice, Kathy. Come on. The back of the room was dark. Nobody paid any attention. Somebody was always leaving or coming back in. 
Come on. I got a car over at the side here. Johnny. Watch your dollar. We'll be right back, Mike. Just going to get some air. All right, Johnny. But don't go running out before I give you your present. Huh? Here. And don't uncork that until you're ready for some serious business. All right, I'll... I'll re... Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. Don't mention it. Good luck, Johnny. Yeah, come on, let's get away from here. Johnny, he's going Take to... Take it easy, Kathy. Wait for me! Oh, what... Oh, no. Jill, go back! I want to see Uncle Nick! Why'd you tell me you were coming here to hear me sing, Uncle Nick? Well, uh... uh listen, Pick me Jill... up. Please, Uncle Nick. Take your hands out of your pocket and pick me up. Uh, look, Jill, you run along now... Who's that? Dan Martin. He's a deputy sheriff, and he's a dead shot. Better do like she says, Nick. Take your hand out of your pocket and pick her up. Uncle Nick? All right, reach in my pocket, Johnny, and take my gun. Later, Kathy and I walked around outside. We could still hear the children's chorus singing inside. Jill saved our lives tonight. No, she saved Nick's life. What do you mean? That present your father gave me, up there at the spotlights. He could see what was happening, and he thought real fast. That present was a gun. Then you... I had Nick covered from the time we stepped off the porch. I'm glad he didn't move. I'm glad it happened like it did. Yeah, so am I. I thought we'd never see those stars up there again. You kept hold of yourself, Kathy. You showed a lot of courage. No. But maybe I can learn to show it. I was just thinking, Johnny, looking at the stars up there. There was fear in the world then. Two thousand years ago. And he had courage. Expense account item 16, $230.40, incidentals in Brambury, and transportation for two adults and one child, Brambury to New York. Expense account total, $486.20, end of account, end of report. Remarks? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you, from all of us here on the program. And God bless you. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Virginia Gregg, Peggy Weber, Don Diamond, Ben Wright, Jack Crucian, Barney Phillips, Sam Edwards, and Ken Christie. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. This is just a, a wonderful uh, Christmas episode. And a uh, great job by Bob Bailey and a great job by Les Crotchfield in writing this. This is, uh, the overall plot is not something that um, easily lends itself to a Christmas story, but they make it work uh, with the focus on um, uh, courage as well as just the warmth of home and family. That is actually our last Christmas special of 2013. If you want to hear more, uh, you can check out The War, where we've uh, had Christmas specials running since Monday and will continue through Christmas Day. That's over at thewar.greatdetectives.net. Well, now for something completely different. The Lady Was Lethal, Part 2. Brown Mysteries. Adventures in excitement and suspense, based on the best-selling novels by the slick storytelling sensation Carter Brown. person in the private eye profession runs the risk of sudden death, but the death of Hank Williams, my pal and partner in the firm of Williams and Eaton, came as a double shock, because Hank had wired me that he was onto something big, and when I got back, it was too late to ask him what it was. Also, Hank was a guy who never put anything on paper, so I had nothing to give me a lead. But I found that it involved a muscular male named Tiny Laven and a mean mobster called Babyface Brill. It also seemed to involve the singer at the blues club, a girl named Chili, who was anything but. You're the man who sent the waiter with a message? That's right. You wanted to talk to me about Hank Williams? Yes, he was my partner. I'm Johnny Eaton. Glad to know you, Johnny. I'm even gladder to know you. Oh, why? Look in your mirror, for a couple of good reasons. <laughs> Chili... You knew Hank, didn't you? Uh-huh. When did you last see him? Oh, two, maybe three days ago. I'm not sure. Why? Nothing's happened to him, has it? Only one thing. He's dead. No. Oh, that's not true. It can't be. I'm afraid it can, and it is. This afternoon. Poor Hank. He wouldn't listen to me. I told him it was dangerous. What was? Oh, whatever he was doing. He kept telling me he was onto something big that he was saving it for his partner, but I knew it was dangerous by the way he talked. Dangerous enough to kill him. You know a guy named Laven, Tiny Laven? I've heard the name somewhere. Comes into this club, they tell me. Big guy, smokes cigars. I think I know who you mean. What about him? I think he had something to do with it, that's all. I liked Hank. He was a nice guy. Anything I can do to help Johnny, I'll do. Thanks. Come in. Julie, I heard that... Oh, sorry, I thought you were on your own. Oh, it's okay. This is Johnny Eaton. He's Hank Williams' partner. You remember Hank? Sure, the private dick. This is Hal Waltham, Johnny. He owns the Blues Club, which means he employs me. That makes you a lucky guy, Waltham. And I know it. How's Hank? They're looking after him very well down at the morgue. You're joking. No, Hal. He was killed this afternoon. Well, of all the tough breaks... I was telling Johnny that anything I can do to help, I'll be only too glad. But Hank never talked about his work. No. 
Well, the same thing goes for me, Eden. Anything I can do, anything at all. Nice of you, Waltham. If there is anything, I'll look you both up. Particularly Chili. What she's got is worth looking at. I picked up a cab from outside the Blues Club and gave him the address of my apartment. When I put the key in the lock and opened the door, there was a light coming from the living room. Automatically, I reached for my gun. Then I remembered I wasn't carrying it. I moved into the living room and got a surprise. A beautiful, blonde surprise with tear-filled eyes. Oh, I'm sorry, but I didn't know when you'd be back, and I just had to see you. Well, how flattering can a blonde be? You are Johnny Eaton, aren't you? Unless I've changed in the last ten minutes. The superintendent of the building let me in here. I'm Helen Williams. Hank's sister. But you're in Kentucky. I, I wired you about Hank. That's why I came up. Got in an hour ago. The caretaker at Hank's apartment house sent me to the police. I saw a Lieutenant Jorgensen. He told me what had happened. And then I came here. It's tough, Helen. Oh, Hank was a great guy. Yes. Yes, he was. You go ahead, honey. If you want to cry, it won't worry me any. You could weep a few tears for me, too. No, no, I mustn't. Could I... Could I have a drink? Sure, sure. We'll both have one. What'll you do now, Helen? Go back to Kentucky? No, not until Hank's murderer is behind bars. I'm staying until he's caught. Your drink. That might take a long time. I don't care. Where are you going to stay tonight? I hadn't thought about it. I couldn't go back to Hank's apartment. Not now. Maybe I could find a hotel. Not at this time of night. Tell you what, you stay here. I'll take the sofa. You can have my room. In the morning, we'll find you an appointment. Oh, thanks, Johnny. Thanks a million. Don't look at me with those trusting eyes. Why not? Because I don't know that I'm too trustworthy. Not with a bewitching blonde. Well, I trust you, Johnny. And since I'm going to stay, I might as well be useful. Anyone as decorative as you doesn't have to worry about being useful. Well, I'm going to be. You'll need someone in the office now that Hank won't be there. I'll be your secretary. That's fine. Anything that keeps you close by suits me. Jerk your mind off my gender and think about justice. For Hank's killer. Okay, Helen, you're right. I better give you the story so far. The next morning, while Helen was out arranging for Hank's funeral and then seeing about an apartment, I sat in my office waiting for the promised visit from Tiny Laven and Babyface Brill. My desk drawer was open... And the gun in it had the safety catch off. You're here, huh, Seamus? I said I would be, Mr. Levin. That's smart of you, Eaton. Real smart. Thanks. A compliment from Babyface Brill is really something. You know our names, huh? I get around. Hmm. Well, here it is, Seamus. $40,000 is too high. Twenty-five grand is the most the boss will pay. And who is the boss? <laughs> Are you kidding? Okay. Sorry, Levin, the price stays where it is. Otherwise, it's no sale. You don't want to talk like that, Eden. No. You might wake up dead. Bumping me off still doesn't get you what you want. You won't find out where the stuff is from a corpse. Like I said before, we might be able to persuade you to tell us before you kick off. You know what the recipe for fried chicken says? First, catch your bird. You won't be hard to take. Why don't we do it now? I get tired of listening to its voice. Just try it, babyface. Me and this thirty-eight are waiting. 
Already for us, who are you? Your partner Williams figured he was tough, too. We'll give you 24 hours to change your mind, Eaton. After that... Don't slam the door on your way out, boys. You fresh punk! Calm down, babyface. You'll have plenty of time to devote to Mr. Eaton 24 hours from now, if he doesn't wise up. Yeah. Take a tip, Eaton. Change your mind. Otherwise, I'll have fun changing your face. Johnny Eaton. Johnny, it's chilly. Not with your voice warming up the wire. I've been thinking about what you were telling me last night. I might be able to help a little. That's fine. Could you come over and see me? Sure, let's see. It's just on six o'clock now. I won't be through at the club until nearly midnight. And I don't think it would be a good idea for you to come there. My apartment would be better. Much better. Just you and me and a bottle makes three. The address is apartment 16, 248 Parkview. Great. See you at midnight. <laughs> Midnight is the witching hour, they say, and chilly at midnight was one wow of a witch. We sat side by side on the sectional sofa with the drinks handy, and I told Chili all about Tiny Laban. You have no idea what this thing is that Laban wants? No, like I keep saying to people, Hank wasn't a guy to make notes. He carried it all in his head. I pulled the gag that I'd got it on Laban just to see the reaction. I don't suppose you'd believe me if I told him the truth. Probably not. And according to Laban, they searched the office, and they must have searched Hank's apartment, and they didn't find it. So what did Hank do with it, whatever it is? You got me. I can't even begin to guess. I think I might be able to help you, Johnny. But you'd have to trust me. That's a song I've heard before. I lied a little last night. I know Laban quite well. And the other one, Babyface Brill. But I wasn't sure last night whose side you were on. Go on. I could help you, but you mustn't ask questions. Oh, I mustn't, huh? I like you, Johnny. I want to help you, but I can't help liking you as well, can I? It's the fatal Eaton charm. And every time a dame tells me it's working, I find I've lost my wallet later on. You're a cynical character. I've been around a long time. Not around me. Still cynical, Johnny? I'm not sure how you describe the feeling, but I don't think cynical is the word. (laughs) Uh, You were going to tell me about Laven... He and Brill are a couple of strong-armed men. I didn't think they were chartered accountants. They're tied in with the Blues Club. Huh? It oh. really is a club, but its membership is secret. So that's what Hank was on to. I guess so. I thought it was just me. Who runs the place? Hal Waltham is the manager, but he's only paid. I don't know who really owns it. Laven gives the orders. Maybe Hank had some proof. Maybe that's why they murdered him. To stop him turning it over to the cops. Be your age, Johnny. A joint the size of the blues doesn't exist without protection, which includes protection from the cops. Hank must have had something more than that. Anyway, why did he get so interested? Why would he stick his nose into a tough setup like the blues? Ah, that's right. Ah, Sometimes I'm so dumb I can hardly believe it myself. Of course he had a client. Sure. So find his client. And you might get some idea of what he had that they want so badly. Yeah, it's a bright thought. Only thing is, is how do I find him? You should know. Here's the detective. <coughs> Who could that be at this hour? Well, it's not opportunity. That only knocks once. Well, I guess I'd better go and find out. 
As she walked out of the room, I thought that with things as they were, I'd be happier, safe than sorry. So I eased the gun out of my shoulder holster and stood behind the door so that I was hidden from anyone coming into the room. What's the idea? Inside chilly, like a good kid. Sorry about this, but it's nothing personal. Just orders. Who's orders? Just orders. I'll give it to you nice and quick. You won't know a thing about it, honest. Like you gave it to Hank Williams? I wouldn't know anything about that. But I can't stand here yabbering. And it won't do your nerves any good either. So long, Chili. Nothing personal, you understand? Sure, she understands. What? Oh, Johnny, am I glad you were here. I believe you're as tough as they say. Babyface didn't seem to like you. Real neither likes nor dislikes anybody. It's just a job as far as he's concerned. A job he's paid to do. The interesting thing is, who's paid him to rub you out? I don't know. Well... Whoever it is, it's a sign they're getting scared, which means they might make a mistake. And when they do, I'll be right there. Welcome back. Well, I told you it was uh, completely different. And I will give our hero one thing. He's certainly uh, audacious. We have a good mystery on our hands, and uh, we'll find out more about it next week in Part 3. Now, listener comments and feedback from Scott, who says, I'm not sure how he does it, but Adam finds the best quality old-time radio programs, and that makes this podcast stand above all the other old-time radio podcasts. I've listened and subscribed to many, many others, and now only have the great detectives of old-time radio in my queue. Keep up the great work, Adam. Well, thank you so much for your kind comments, Scott. And I appreciate you listening to the show. All right, well, that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow with the lineup, and we'll be back on Monday with another Johnny Dollar serial. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.